It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer. Carl has the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to, of course, open another week of trading. You can see kind of a mixed bag. Uh, NASDAQ, though, going to look uh, stronger. Our roadmap this morning does begin with a big deal in M&A. It's a rail deal worth $25 billion. Kansas City Southern announces that it is being acquired by Canadian Pacific. Then, new results from AstraZeneca, what the company told us earlier about its efficacy here in the U.S. And later, Tesla to 3,000. We're going to break down Kathy Wood's latest bull case. Jim, uh, I'll start wherever you want. You decide the direction here in terms of what we should start with our viewers here at 9 a.m. Well, look, I woke up and saw this KSU deal, and I said to myself, this is the kind of thing that makes so much sense. I've been waiting for it. I look at uh, Warren Buffett's numbers at the end of the week. They always show you how much uh, business Burlington Northern's doing. Uh, And the numbers are about to cross into the uh, low teens. I think that rails are incredibly valuable because of scarcity. David, the thing that I don't know, if they don't uh, overlap, then why wouldn't the authorities go for it? Uh, You know, it's likely that they probably, well, we can't prejudge these things. The Surface Transportation Board, we know, Jim, from previous attempts by various rails at at certain consolidation, they haven't liked. But to your point, with no overlap, I think the expectation is more likely that they will say yes to the deal. And, of course, the way it's structured and the way we've seen previous rail deals structured, you can even go back way back to when there were deals involving broadcast licenses. There's creation of this trust. So you're going to be able to sell your shares sooner than when the regulatory review period has ended into the trust. And then they will take on the risk at Canadian Pacific, essentially, of closing the deal from there. And should it go against them, then they're going to have to figure out what to do with that ownership of of uh, of 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 Kansas City in that trust. But you're right. Um, Given the history, at least the fact that there's no overlap, the fact that uh, Kansas City Southern, by the way, was exempted from certain rules as well. And we'll be talking to Keith Creel, the CEO, a bit later in the show about a lot of this. It does appear likely that this deal would get uh, potentially approved, Jim. And it's also a reason why so few other potential rails could right. come to play here. Look, David, uh, I know Mexico pretty well. and I've got to tell you, the amount of business the KSU does in Mexico is so unbelievable. And it's auto. And now I know that the former president did not favor uh, cars being built in Mexico versus here. But that doesn't get talked about much anymore. So, David, this is a powerhouse idea because it is because this is about Mexico. This is not about United States, uh, which is why it's so exciting for CP, because they become a major uh, in, in what I think is going to be an amazing auto market, a major a major importer of Mexican auto. That is just spectacular. So, David, this is, a big, this is a big number raiser for CP if they can get it done. If they can get it done. It, it's going to take some time. By the way, 67% of the consideration is in stock. Right. Uh, as our, our viewers may already know, it's 90 in cash and then 0.489 Canadian Pacific shares. So we'll keep a close eye on those shares and see how they perform this morning down. But it appears perhaps won't be down too much. And again, we haven't opened for actual trading uh, as of yet. Uh, talking about uh, annual synergies of, what, 780 million 
over low, three low years. Ball. There low you ball. see it. That's low ball. And, uh, you know, quick little background here, having talked to people, as you might expect, uh, uh, close to the transaction. I mean, this conversation has been going on for quite some time, right. August, September. I think this really picked up. Uh, in December, I'm told, in terms of really focusing on a deal, there was a PE bid there. There was a bid from Blackstone. It had been previously reported by the Wall Street Journal, Jim. Um, and it was all cash and obviously did not carry the risk that this kind of a deal would. However, I'm told it just wasn't close enough in terms of the number to really compete with what Canadian Pacific came with. And so the, the board made the decision there that, that this is by far the better deal. Uh, and again, they've got the big break fee. They've got the voting trust. And we'll see where it ends up. But, David, doesn't it feel like that's the kind of deal that would have happened pre-pandemic, where there's just a, a sense that autos are going to be good mm -hmm. uh, and Mexico could be pre, actually pre-President Trump? It does feel like, David, that when I saw I mean, look, I, you know, got the uh, emails, you probably did much more work than I did, obviously, on the people who are uh, the principals. And one thing is certain, David, it just doesn't, it's not about the pandemic anymore. I mean, it's just about <clears throat> pure business. So, is something right. happened? Well, listen, it, it is, it's an, a good question. Um, this is not a deal that is foreign to anybody who's thought about consolidation in the rail industry, right? And this right. is obviously the smallest player, so to speak, and creating, as you say, Canada and Mexico. I mean, it's. But why now? Again, they've been talking about it for many months, if not even longer, in some way, be con been considering it, Jim. But it, perhaps it is a reflection of the expectation of, of, of the significant economic growth that's ahead for the region and the increased trade that's going to take place between Mexico, the U.S., and Canada, especially given that new free trade agreement that, that went into place not that long ago. So, yeah, I guess, I guess it could be. And by the way, when it comes to mergers and acquisition activity, and I'll put SPACs in a separate area because obviously those count as mergers when they do their deal. But there is a lot of, uh, you know, when speaking to a lot of people around this deal who do a lot of other things, as you might imagine, a lot of other, there's a lot of activity. Right. And it, so I think we right. can't expect to see other um, significant transactions. Transformative, I don't know, but significant. Yes, I think this is important. There are a lot of people who feel that when you raise taxes, you hurt capital formation. David, I've never, I've, I have never seen the amount of capital formation I'm seeing now. I, I always expect an email every morning from someone who is doing a large SPAC. Uh, Dave, I've never seen anything like it, David, and I've got to tell you, I can't keep track of them, but they tend to be done, and the new ones are being done by heavyweights right. that I think you probably want to buy. Really? So you iron source, you like that one, for example, that giant one coming today? Which one is that? That's uh, Toma Bravo. $11 billion dollar deal? Yeah. They're fabulous. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be another one tomorrow, I think. Sternlich's going to announce his latest deal. Spitfire, Jaws, Spitfire 3. But let's move on, uh, Jim. But, you know, like I'm just watching this yeah. MP. Okay, that's a SPAC. Yes. And it just had an unbelievable quarter. If you get a company that you can ride... You can make a killing, David. So yeah, it actually ma it matters what the companies are doing. It does. Uh, by the way, I would point out when it comes to SPACs, Jim, many of the ones that are pricing now uh, are not moving. They're coming at 10 and they're hanging right in there at yes. 10. Uh, yes. It's very different than even a couple of months back when immediately upon pricing, many of these would move up 10, 15 percent. People get Just smarter. on that. Uh, that's not happening any longer, right. even though we continue to see just waves of 
of new SPACs entering the market. Uh, and then we also see the announcement of deals. We'll get, we'll get back to more of that yes. later. Um, I want to hit the broader market. I want to sure. hit Tesla. Sure. You know, we want to talk about the 10-year. Where do you want to go? You want to talk about this ARC price target for Tesla in 25? Yes, let's do that. Okay. I, I think when I thought of this initially, I don't think there's a fund manager in this country a fund manager in this country that could get away with this kind of thing uh, other than Kathy Wood. And I say that because if it were a brokerage house that came out and said this, David, we would dismiss it so quickly as being hype. But Kathy Wood actually is so good that you start thinking, OK, well, what is Elon Musk going to do? I mean, maybe he's got a lot in mind that she's thought about. I always know that, that Elon Musk wants to reinvent the entire grid, right. the entire grid which, remember, was put together in, in piecemeal. So I, 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 she, I, mean, I know that there'll be people who say, Jim, you shouldn't have used the term get away with. Uh, but I do feel, David, that she has the cachet to say it and not be dismissed. When I heard it this week, and I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how she got to that price target. Okay, and? Um, I just think that she's using uh, the notion that Elon Musk... Uh, is going to be able to make cars everywhere. But it's not just cars. It's obviously bigger than cars. It's got to be bigger than cars to get right. anywhere near that. I mean, it's funny, these different percentage chances she puts on things, the bull case, a 25% probability Tesla could be worth 4000 a share or more in 2025, so four years from now. Well, what would happen if Tony Saganegi from, you know, from uh, Bernstein said this? We would think that he... I don't know. We think he, he lost his was, mind. Yeah, that he ate something with his breakfast. That right. Was, I mean, uh, I like Tony. bringing on hallucinations. And there are different firms. Uh, uh, the Jonas Brothers over at Morgan Stanley. Yeah. I, I mean, there's the Jonas Brothers <laughs> one who probably thinks. I gave a hard ahead. time to some analysts recently. Yeah, it was, you know, even seven or eight Adam times Jones. revenues. But but, uh, but you're Jones, right. This it, is the most successful fund manager of recent times. So how He's can captured we not the her? imagination of many investors. Uh, and, and the performance numbers are there. I have so no you have to listen. Wood. Do you have a knock on wood? Do I have a what? A knock on wood. Yeah, sure. Someone's very smart, but did that. I saw it. Yes. You see it. But that's really wood. smart. Yeah. Well, but, you know, you know like, David, people. it's going to get the stock going. We're in a different kind of market. There's been a series of articles now that talk about, I didn't even know this. Do you know what a stimmy is? Yes, I do. It's a stimulus check. Right. So yes. the stimmies are going to go by Tesla. I know. I've seen that, too. The stimmies. Well, they're not going. They're not sitting. Here um, are the- they even going to? Even with what we have seen of late, is the decline in many of these high multiple names they don't uh, know why. because of the move up in part in, in treasuries? They don't know why, but you can go buy a sliver of a, a stimmy sliver. All right. So what should I buy? I mean, I got Apple down nine and a half percent this year. I've got Amazon down almost six percent for the year. Uh, Tesla, I've got down seven percent until today. As you see, it's going to be rebounding a bit. What What do you think? We should, they should be focused on and or how should we be focused on what they're focused on? All right, look, I think that's a great question. I mean, interest rates today are down. Uh, I do think that that means when... Uh, I wish Wed Bush hadn't used the term super cycle. No, every super cycle has been a disaster. But I, I do think Apple's down a lot, but not down enough. I think that this is... I think it's too early to buy some of these stocks, but they are getting very low versus where they were. Uh, Facebook continues to go higher. Face, I noticed that as well. Yeah, Facebook suddenly reversed course. The it's earnings are going to be good. Because well, everybody suddenly, it's not a high multiple stock, that's for sure. Well, right? but who is he attacked by these circumstances? Not, I mean, remember, he in Australia had a tussle? 
Yes. He, I don't think it's Canada that he's going to tussle with. Who else is a great ally of ours that he might tussle with? I'm not, a, I'm not aware of Well, them. then that's why the stock can go higher. Um, it's an inexpensive stock. I think they should be buying Alphabet because Alphabet actually has earnings momentum. Right. Although you are talking about one of the better performers of sort of right. fang, so to speak, over the, over the last couple of months. But when Alphabet you, is up nicely. David, but when you get the Kathy Wood, what she did that day, and of course it's not everything, at around 6.30. You know, she's a, she's a seller of a lot of big cap. And she likes uh, um, that fantastic SPAC that is the... Uh, butterfly. Boom! Yeah, she likes Butterfly. She hates friend, Splunk more than Larry life Robinson. itself. Yeah. Uh, but Butterfly is... We should tell people, Butterfly is actually a real company. I've had the doctor use it. No, already. Dr. Rothberg's been on with us a couple of times. Of course, he has another one, CAPA, remember, another deal. He's a unique gentleman. But uh, she loves us. Yeah. I no. think everyone should get what she, you know, you can get it, be on the distribution list. And you, you can see she likes disruptive technologies that are not involved and kind of don't have nothing to do with the linkage of bonds. She doesn't care at all about that linkage. But why did she pick 3000 instead of 2500 Jim? Uh, Jim, these are not questions I can answer, like so many others. What is it like, the cosmos? Yes. Like, why is like there, the universe. Why it's endless, holes? and I just can't get where, my head where around Where do our it. souls go after we die? Is it like one of those things? I'm going to think about that during the break. I'll have an answer for you. All right, Camu, give me a couple I'm of putting Kamu and Sartre on this. Thank you. All right, Thank you. No problem. Bring them both back for yeah. me. Canadian Pacific CEO Keith Creel also, in addition to Kamu and Sartre, are going to be joining us this hour. Uh, the opening bell is, uh, what, just about 17 minutes away. we got a lot more for you on Squawk in the Street. I want to get to a story, Jim, that uh, that hit uh, not that long ago this morning, of course, involving Leon Black, uh, the founder of Apollo, uh, one of the giants of private equity, essentially walking away from the firm. Now, we knew he was going to be stepping down as the CEO. Mark Rohn would be assuming that. But this uh, is unexpected in the sense of he is also stepping down as chairman of the board. He's also stepping down from the board overall. Uh, and it's quite a significant departure. I mean, you think about some of the, the three big firms, when I think of them, is KKR, Apollo, uh, and Blackstone. Schwartzman, still at the helm at Blackstone. Kravis, still at the helm at KKR. Uh, and Black, no longer the case. Uh, about 70 years old, obviously had been embroiled in a lot of that attention coming from his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and the fees that he paid him. We'll have more on that in a second from his statement. But it's a significant moment, and there was some, uh, perhaps somewhat unexpected in terms of him departing the board. Remember, he is a very large shareholder here. What, in the 30s-plus percent? Uh, by, by exiting the board, by the way, Jim, it does enable him to potentially sell stock as well. Well, I, I think it's important to, for people to realize what a titan this guy is. I mean, he has been with us forever. Yes. Uh, and I know that he's caught up in the investigation, but he's got, you know, he said, I, I thus view this as, as the ideal moment to step back and focus on my family, my wife, Deborah's, and my health issues yep. and my many other interests. I think he's owed that statement. At the same time, uh, the review that Decker did found yeah. no criminal evidence of, of Ep with Epstein. But, David, well, yeah, he paid a total of $158 million for tax and estate planning to Epstein. Well, that, that raised some questions. Uh, that brought him attention. By the way, Black has always been, I mean, he's just not somebody that I ever got to know well at all, as opposed to the other gentleman who we right. mentioned. Uh, he's not, you know, he's much, kept, always kept a much lower profile. But Apollo has been one of the giants, has been an extraordinarily successful firm. 
will now be led by a new CEO, Mark Rowan, who, of course, has been there for a long time. Josh Harris, uh, one of the other leaders of the firm, remains as well. Let's read more from his statement because, uh, you know, he does reference Epstein. He says the relentless public attention uh, and media scrutiny concerning my relationship with Jeffrey Epstein have taken a toll on my health and have caused me uh, to wish to take some time away from the public spotlight. Uh, and as you say, he goes on to talk about his own health, that of his wife, Deborah, as well. Uh, but it's an important departure and certainly one we didn't want uh, to, uh, to not feature this morning, Jim, given his importance in private equity. He is obviously an immensely wealthy man, incredible art collection, by the way, far beyond just his ownership stake in Apollo and everything else. He's collecting art from a very early age, uh, was Mr. Black. Um, and we'll see. We'll continue to follow and watch the story to the, to the extent that anything else should occur here. Uh, Apollo share is probably not going to do much of anything. Again, he was planning on stepping down as CEO, uh, but it all got accelerated. And the important point here is he's now stepped down as chairman of the board and informed the board as well. He stepped down from his position uh, uh, as a member of the executive committee on the board uh, and from the board as well. So uh, Leon Black and Apollo. What are the, one of the splitting ways the aside world. from his ownership state. People need to know that. I mean, we talk about Bezos. We talk about yeah. uh, Gates. I mean, this man's one of the richest people. When he, he's a, a, done a huge, uh, he built a huge empire. Yes. And I think people should know that. I've always felt that he's incredibly savvy at what he does. Yep. Uh, no doubt about that. All right. We've got a lot more uh, for you, including, of course, Jim's mad dash as we count you down to an opening bell. Ten minutes from now. Stay with us. All right, let's get to a mad dash. I think I overheard Pinterest. Yes, and also Snap. I should throw that in. This is a Bank of America piece I'm referencing. David, for those who are caught up in the notion that how interest rates affect stocks, they should read this piece because it really is about how when rates go higher. What is with these stocks that go up 500 percent well, a year? That's what you're saying, that this is it's time to rethink and they want to downgrade because that these stocks are going to have multiple compression based on the yield and that they're far too linked with the stay-at-home movement when people are going to start going out. And so they like booking, booking.com. And what, right. you know what, David, I'm in agreement with this. I, I happen to love Pinterest, but you see what this to that, one yeah. good quarter, right? And, if, it, and I like Pinterest because it's hobbyists and stuff, but David, this is the residue of that era where if you lived inside and didn't think that the vaccines were going to roll out this fast, you felt like you had another couple quarters. Right. I don't feel people feel like that. I think everyone's, look, at AstraZeneca, we haven't talked about it, but, and I don't know whether people want to go for it, but there are, the vaccine is starting to be available for people who are not my age. Yes. And, and that means they're going to go out and they're going to travel again. And yes. so, therefore, maybe they don't stay home and look. And, uh, look, I think people still cook. Right. I really do. But if you think that they aren't, if you think, you know, you're going to look at the Pinterest part to travel and they have a big European component and that you know, Europe is still shut down. But I do point out that when you look at Snap, which is had, can we show Snap's chart? Snap is unbelievable. Yeah. There is this multiple correct. You know, if you get rates, look at this one, David. If you get rates going <laughs> up more, I just I know, you know, our people need to understand that it is not now. Remember, the comparisons right now are right at the almost at the bottom. I know. But people need to under remember that a 470 percent rise in a stock price in 12 well, that's months. That's why this is, is a very common sense piece. These, you know, the bear case, more multiple compression. I mention it because a lot of the younger investors, David, the stimmies. Yeah, they don't know multiple compression, but they got to learn it. 
because they might be surprised about why Pinterest is going down, even though Pinterest isn't saying anything. Right. And it has to do with the fact that people, traditional money managers, not them, but traditional money managers look at the, uh, at the tenure and make a decision about whether this is up too much. Yep. And we'll be keeping an eye on both of those names, of course, and a lot of other movers this morning. Uh, we get you the opening bell just a few minutes from now. This 2-2 file in the first half of April for the emergency use authorization. And of course, then it's in the hands of, uh, of the FDA how fast they can uh, decide about the, uh, the approval uh, and assume that the approval will, will take uh, place in, in a fast, uh, fast way. We hope to deliver 30 million uh, doses instantly after the EUA for, for Americans to get vaccinated. That was AstraZeneca EVP and president of Biopharma, uh, Biopharmaceuticals, Rudd Dauber, also talking about the company's vaccine efficacy here and saying the shot didn't pose a higher risk of causing blood clots. Jim, you just mentioned AstraZeneca, of course, yet another potential entrant. We're going to have a lot of vaccine choices. Um, and conceivably, I don't know where you are in terms of your timeline. Are we, you know... May, June, where everybody can get a vaccine who wants one? I mean, obviously, what I worry about is the last part that you said. Right. Uh, can everyone get the vaccine who wants one? And oh. you have to watch Royal Caribbean here, David, because Royal Caribbean is going offshore to be able to make it so that if you're vaccinated, you can go uh, and the crew's vaccinated. The, these are, these are uh, cruises that would have uh, gone out of Miami, probably. And our country does not have a good policy in terms of getting the, pa the so-called vax passport. Uh, but I would say, David, that if people uh, people right now tend not to ask which one they're getting, I wonder because of all the negative publicity, people will say, no, I don't want AstraZeneca. It, it would yeah. be a shame because this was a very good study, much more rigorous than what they did in Europe. And to me, I'd take it in a second. If you I would. Didn't have, yes, I would. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but, you know, David, I think you're right. Anybody who wants one, that important caveat. But it is changing the country. And it is making it so that people are traveling. And you do the, all of the buying that you've seen for companies that, uh, that are involved with travel, I think are going to be vindicated. Yeah, although you brought up an interesting point on Friday when we were talking about that debate about once you're vaccinated fully, do you really need to be still wearing a mask? And is it in some way not giving people the carrot? Well, I think that you do it out of courtesy. That's yeah, one, that, that's the reason. Yeah. But I do think that uh, there's going to be two classes of people, David, the vaxxers and the non. And I'm not sure whether that's discriminatory or not. But we have to stay focused on it because you have whole industries like the cruise industry, like the airline industry, where it may just be show me your pass. I mean, I tried to go to a doctor the other day and I got stopped at the gate because even though I had Moderna and even though my temperature is down, I mean, it's the same. I mean, all they cared about is, is like, did I go to Florida? Right. And I, I think that that has to end. Yeah, hopefully as soon as possible. Uh, you saw the opening bells there, of course, as we get started with trading here for a new week. A tumultuous week last week, of course, uh, Jim, as we watched the 10-year yield climb to heights we had not seen in quite some time. Um, the financials did quite well as that you saw that steepening yield curve. Let me take a look now. Not as much. Everything seems to be down a bit, um, although, uh, again, many of them near their highs. What as we head into this week now and begin trading, what do you see? Is, and look at the 10 year, uh, re, at least retreating from above one seven. Uh, what is the key to the market? Uh, Nike, because I want to find out whether this market is forgivable. I mean, Nike reported a really fantastic quarter in China. A good job in Western Europe. But because of this port congestion uh, and a lack of containers, 
they did they missed the number big. Uh, and, the, and the stock got hit, even though everybody kind of knew, well, that's, it was just this port congestion. I've been working in port congestion. It's very hard to get a handle on whether, it's, uh, whether the issues are labor-oriented, whether the issues are true shortage. But if you find Nike going up, then you recognize that the market is willing to forgive a company that did a great job but then failed in the U.S. And if they do, remember, that's a Dow stock. They'll yeah. forgive other stocks. I mean, I was going to pick PepsiCo as the key to this market because it got upgraded. Uh, but I just felt that uh, PepsiCo has never made it. You know, they haven't missed at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that Nike missed. And I want to see whether people are willing to overlook Nike. There's also a dollar gen feel that that one has come down too much. Nike goes up, Dave, as, David, as stimulus. Right. People take their stimulus. And PepsiCo does not have anything to do with stimulus. No. No, that's a good point. Uh, now, does Dollar General have anything to do with stimulus? Yes. I mean, it got hit because people uh, felt that they were a little downbeat. Well, their guidance was, down, right? Guidance they were was. pointing to, to, to flat to down two, if I recall. And therefore, uh, top I, I mean, line. see, Nike, did, Nike was very confident that they would recoup the, the lost sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dollar General, I, I, look, I'm, I can't be more confident than a company is. And Dollar General was not upbeat. The numbers were not great in the last uh, in the last two months. You are going to you're going from a company that is one that you don't have a lot of money to go to yep. to one where we think that maybe the the economy turns. Yep. Uh, but you know, I watch the interest rates, David. It's entirely possible that that rates by the end of the day go up. I mean, it's almost unsustainable when you see rates down. Yeah. Uh, well, right now we start in the green for the S&P uh, and the Nasdaq. Of course, you mentioned the Dow. It did appear that it was going to be uh, lower. Um, Jim, uh, SPACs, let's get to some of them yes, this morning. Um, I did mention this iron source to you. It's a very large deal. Eleven plus billion overall value. It's a Toma Bravo uh, Advantage um, SPAC, and we'll take a look at that. Uh, in case you wanted to know, I mean, they're valuing this company. Let's see, its EBITDA was $104 million. So that kind of gives you $11.1 billion divided by $104 million. You can figure out where they're valuing this thing on a multiple. $332 million in sales. By the way, the top line is growing 83% year over year. Uh, and, Jim, I know you know what they do, but, of course, some people may, may wonder. So let me tell you, they provide the most comprehensive business platform for the app economy. The platform is designed to enable any app or game developer to turn their app into a scalable, successful business by helping them to monetize and analyze their app and grow and engage their users through multiple channels. So they've got that going for them. It does sound like Unity, which is a very big uh, uh, young person stock. Can you say that? We, a young person? Well, well everybody, compared to us, everybody's a young person. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah. I mean, I think it's very important to recognize that there are two yeah. group of stocks. There's the groups of stocks that are um, are loved, and that's Unity's gaming. Yeah. And then there are the groups of stocks that are industrials, right? And those are loved by older people. Like if you, uh, if you I want to be- talk about one that you've loved, we got to get to our special guest in a second. But oh, let me totally. just squeeze in a name that you focused on a lot that I did as well, and I got a lot of heat for, which was Lucid. You remember, of course, the first reports about Lucid and Churchill Four. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you saw their S-4, which they filed, um, giving background on the negotiations. Um, on January 11, 2021, Bloomberg published an article stating that Churchill, this is Churchill 4, was in discussions to acquire Lucid. However, at the time the article was published, Churchill and Lucid had not had any discussions with respect to a potential business combination. 
So maybe Bloomberg gave him the idea. Wow. Yeah. That it happened. I it did happen. That, but it wasn't wow. happening then. I thought that Michael Klein, who is the uh, who runs Churchill Capital, yes. and Peter Rawlinson have been talking for months because we talked about it. Yeah. Uh, well, it has been months, but not on that time. Not at that time when wow. we said that. You know, be careful because sometimes deals don't occur. They weren't even. Well, Lucid was they hadn't even had a conversation about the possibility that went to of that deal. People got crushed on that. They and did. And then it went to they 27. Did. And you know that Michael Klein never wanted that. I mean, no, it's he was no, horrified. It's in nobody's best interest to see something go that high. Uh, by the way, if you started at 10 and just moved up nicely to 27, everybody would be applauding. Right. Um, without a doubt. As but Lucid is, uh, you know, I've been in one. Yeah. I would describe Lucid as a, I was trying to this weekend, uh, a tr- kind of analogize to Lamborghini. But Lamborghini is obviously ice, internal combustion. I feel that this is a luxury race car and, and that goes 500 miles uh, right. for a battery charge. And that, that, therefore, it's worth something. But, David, the valuation is very high. And when you look at the valuation of Churchill Capital, $7 billion, that is not no. the real, that's no, no, no. not the value. The deal hasn't closed. There's going to be 1.6 billion shares outstanding. That's what you need to take that number at Churchill for, multiply that by 1.6 billion to get your actual market cap for Lucid. Um, Why is that so opaque? Because people may not understand. Well, because, yeah. You, but it's in, I mean, take a look at the filings and you can figure it out. The younger um, people don't look at the filings. We're going to have more and more SPACs coming, as I said. Spit, uh, Sternlich's Jaws Spitfire SPAC is going to do their Velo 3D deal. Most likely tomorrow is what I'm hearing as well. But let's get back to M&A and over to Morgan Brennan, who is joined by a special guest. Morgan. Hey, David. Thanks. Well, shares of Kansas City Southern surging this morning. This after the company agreed to be acquired by Canadian Pacific Railway in a deal valued at about $25 billion. Now, if approved, it would create the first freight rail network linking Mexico, the U.S., and Canada. Joining us now for a first on CNBC interview, Canadian Pacific CEO Keith Creel. Keith, thanks for being with us this morning. Congrats on the deal. Hey, good morning, Morgan. It's, uh, it's my honor to be with everyone this morning. All right. So we've heard about the possibility of a Canadian railroad and a U.S. railroad uh, coming together for years now. We haven't seen it happen until today. Why now? And perhaps even more importantly, how is this a vote on not only economic recovery in North America, but growth? Well, I think maybe the why now is better said that how, how can you not now? It's a perfect time for a deal like this. And often for a deal like this, of this size, this magnitude, you know, the stars have to align, and I would suggest the stars have aligned to enable this deal to happen. You've got two railroads, two, actually two of the smallest railroads in the Class 1 space that have enjoyed and produced an outsized performance. We've led the industry the last three years and on a cager basis from growth as well as earnings growth. That's pretty compelling. So when you've got two like-minded CEOs, two like-minded companies focused on growth, focused on providing great service, that see the power of this combined network. You know, I've been in this business for 30 years. I've long recognized the value that could be unlocked combining these two networks. So to have that opportunity now to partner with Pat and his team at the KCS, at this historic time, you've got USMCA as a background. North American trade has never been more important than it is today. So again, how can you not do this now to create an economic backbone a network that can serve as the backbone to drive that growth for all the stakeholders. It's pro-competition. It's pro-service. It's pro for customers, employees in the North American economy. So yeah. how can you not, man? I want to get into all those pros, but, but first, uh, it's my understanding that 
yourself and the folks over at Kansas City Southern, Pat Ottensmeyer and, and, and the like, um, really began talks in earnest in December. How did this deal come together? You know what? As I said, I've had my eye on the KCS for quite some time. I've, I've been leading this growth story and serving with my team at uh, Canadian Pacific for the last four years as the CEO. So strategically, it made a lot of sense. Uh, given the backdrop of what happened last year with the with, uh, coronavirus, given the opportunity and seeing the growth opportunity coming out and the strategic shift of nearshoring, where we're bringing manufacturing back to North America, uh, I couldn't help myself but to reach out to Pat. And I said, Pat, this just makes too much sense to bring these two strong companies together to create something we otherwise would never be able to create for our customers or for our shareholders uh, apart. Yeah. Uh, and, and Pat saw that. And so those discussions began in earnest and became serious uh, during the last quarter of last year and have developed uh, to the point that we're able to share this exciting news uh, that we did with the markets and with our customers yesterday. Precision scheduled railroading. This is the term I think a lot of investors have become pretty uh, familiar with now. You're a protege of the late Hunter Harrison. You've operated Canadian Pacific using that methodology for a number of years now. We've seen most of the other Class 1 railroads adopt PSR into their operations, including Kansas City Southern. How much more efficiency, when you combine these two networks, can you actually ring out of the system? Well, listen, that, that's part of the beauty of precision scheduled railroading. I've said this in the past. It's a gift that keeps on giving because it's all about continual improvement. It's about executing an operating plan. It's about optimizing processes. And if you do that, you create a great service that's a low cost. The natural outcome is synergies on the cost saving side. But listen, this, this deal is not driven by synergies. That's the beauty of it. The power of this deal is actually about revenue synergies, growth synergies. Uh, the benefit sort of add the, the cherry on top is actually those cost synergies too. But again, the synergies we've talked about, 780 million for our share, combined shareholders, three quarters of that's growth synergies enabled by this network with new revenue markets, and about a quarter of that is operational synergies. Uh, that's a natural outcome, again, of how we run our business. And, and I would suggest that both, both the growth synergies as well as the revenue or the uh, cost synergies are underestimated, in fact. I'm firmly convicted in our ability to be able to not only meet those expectations, but to exceed those expectations. Uh, Mr. Creels, David Faber, uh, clearly regulatory um, approval here is going to receive great scrutiny, and it's a key question for the success of the transaction. And I wonder, you know, I know KSU had an exemption from more stringent 2001 uh, merger rules, given it was the smallest Class One railroad. But that's 20 years ago. And I guess there is a key question as to whether the STB, the Surface Transportation Board, is going to continue to honor that exemption today. Is that your belief? Yeah, that, that's a fair question, Dave. We do believe that they will. I mean, the law says, unless they make a different ruling, that we're entitled to that consideration. But again, to the, to the strength of this story and to the facts that are so compelling, the standard that was introduced by the STB with the increased hurdle rate in 2001, uh, the fundamentals here, the facts are so compelling, we would meet either standard. Pro-competition, end-to-end connection, hand-in-glove, we don't overlap at all. It's all about positives for the customer. It's all about alternatives for the customer. The STB exists to make sure that we provide and serve a strong rail network that gives our customers opportunities and options. We've got many cases where this unlocks two to three it increases competitive alternatives. There are not, there's not one single case, Dave, where it reduces competitive alternatives. 
That's a powerful, compelling story that we look forward to educate the SDB on, and we feel convicted that they'll see the same absolute, undeniable pro-competition and pro-service solution this represents that we do. Keith, Jim Kramer, I tried hard to get Union Pacific to merge with, K, with KSU, even in October, I suggested. And the reason why is because I, I do a lot of business in Mexico. When I look at where their route is, their, their routes are incredible. I mean, Carretero, unbelievable for America, for, for where they build cars. St. Louis Potosi, an amazing market. Any, they are fan, Guadalajara, uh, uh, Guanajuato. I mean, is this not the most positioned rail for the trade, Monterey, of course, the trade of autos, which is just robust and going to get more robust for the rest of the country, right from KSU? Yeah, absolutely. And the uniqueness of our combination, Jim, unlike UP, there's no overlap. There's no, you know, back to the SDB concerns. We don't trigger any of those concerns that any other class one combination would with KSU accessing those markets and creating this. So standalone, unique, end to end, there's no other railway combination that could envision or be able to prove that point that there's no competitive disadvantage should they join. So this is the only one in natural combination. And that's why we feel so convicted about the ability for it to be approved and convicted about the value that it's going to unlock and the commerce it's going to enable at the most opportune time in, in our country's history. It's something we're super excited about, Jim. Yeah, Keith, I mean, we're having this conversation as we see all this crazy congestion at the West Coast ports. We're hearing about um, rail cars not being able to get where they, they need to get right now in a timely fashion. Obviously, Chicago continues to be one of those pain points for rail networks uh, around North America. I realize you're going to bypass Chicago uh, with a connected network. Um, but the case you're laying out, is this going to create a situation, and I realize that there are these rules in place around consolidation, but is this going to create a situation where uh, other rail mergers may feel, may start to present themselves in the market here? You know what, I can't speculate on that, uh, but I am, I am well versed in the hurdle rate, and I would suggest that any other type merger that might be considered uh, would, would face a very challenging regulatory hurdle to mm -hmm. overcome to be able to represent pro-service, pro-competition. Uh, we have to leave the conversation there. So many more questions. We hope you'll come back <laughs> and join us again soon. Congratulations again on the deal. Keith Creel. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate the support. You guys have a safe day. Take care. All right. Thank you, uh, Morgan. Let's get over to Rick Santelli now. Rick. Hi, David. You know, right now we are looking at the Treasury complex, quote unquote, air quotations, easing back a bit. But Easing back a bit when we're still hovering near 170 for 10s and near 240 for 30s isn't a big retracement. Uh, the intraday highs are uh, 175 and 251, respectively. You see two-week charts of 10s and 30s there. Uh, definitely we've pulled back just a bit, but we're only down several basis points. And we are still at, as the next chart shows, uh, basically the highest left uh, near the zip code of the highest closing yields and tens going back to January of 2020. And it is a global phenomenon. Here's Gilts, uh, the 10-year for the U.K., hovering just above 80 basis points. And these are at the lowest level since the summer of, or excuse me, uh, the highest level since the summer of 2019. So we can see that the price drops and yield increases is something going on in all sovereigns. And a year-to-date now chart of Barclays. Now, this is the investment-grade security side, the spread side. And we were hovering well below 100. Now we're just uh, well 
at 800 to show that spreads have widened a bit. But to call 99 and change wide really is going in the face of history. If you open the chart up to five years, you can clearly see what I mean. But we do want to watch. You know, when interest rates are this low uh, and then they bounce, why take the added risk of being in corporates, of course, when you could just be in treasuries, which are safer? That seems to be the logic. And finally, here's a year today that the dollar index uh, from January's low, which was the lowest close since April of 2018. The dollar index really has a very solid march going. Jim and David, back to you. Thank you, Rick. Rick Santelli with the Bond Report. Well, let's get a check on where we stand in today's trading. As you see, the Nasdaq is uh, the best performer of the three averages, up over half a percent. We're back in just a moment. Let's give you a look at airlines. You can see they are all uh, suffering fairly significant declines. JetBlue certainly. Uh, down over 5%, falling uh, as a result. Well, we're not exactly clear, uh, other than they've done pretty well, at least given the current circumstances. We've got a lot more squawking the streets straight ahead. Stay with us. Let's get to stop trading. AMAT, they had a deal there. They kept waiting, Jim, for Chinese approval. It didn't come, at least by the deadline they were hoping it would. No, and we've seen those deals come and go when it's China. But what's important is they just added a $7.5 billion buyback. People have to understand, the shortage in chips, a lot of it is in transport. A lot of it is double-ordering by China. But a lot of it is you just can't get all the machines that are applied materials, the ASMLF. Uh, you you got to keep an eye on KLA. And the best one, uh, LAMP. These are all the companies that make the most money right here in the cycle because, boy, David, these companies are so in demand, their product. And we hear the semiconductor shortage continues. I, nothing's going to alleviate it other than. You don't think so? Chi- well, the Chinese have to. Uh, I know. I mean, Qualcomm to, CEO Steve Molenkoff, obviously, won't be CEO much longer, said he's seeing improvement. I saw that. In efforts to ease chip shortages. Well, you need China to stop double ordering. Mm-hmm. And you need these guys. They're working 24 7. They were not working 24 7 for a while. But I do believe, and there was a fire in a big uh, Japanese way, uh, factory this weekend. But I do think, David, that the way you play this is applied materials, KLA, uh, ASMLF, and best of all, LAMP. And the fact that this deal didn't work, it's amazing. They're right in there buying back stock, even though look at that stock. Yeah, that has been, wow. I mean, again, great stewards of capital. Yep. Uh, Tremendous stewards of capital. uh, All right. What do you got coming up on uh, Mad Money tonight? David, we have a rival. Now, I don't know if you know a rival, but this is still one more EV truck. And then Biohaven, for those who suffer from migraine, this is the answer. We're gonna, I, I, I don't, people don't, may, not, may not know, but it is growing incredibly fast worldwide. Uh, and Dr. Cork has done some really great things. But they did a secondary that, is, that was bad. And bad. Okay. Well, it was too high. Got it. Uh, it all right. was well, hope. Have a good rest How of the day. How can this be the show? This is it. But we got another one tomorrow. So get ready. All right. For like five minutes. I'll see you later. All right. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 